Welcome to Vibe Talk Music. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. In this season, we will get vulnerable with a variety of guests discussing their journey to self-awareness and how we can level up the collective consciousness in the music industry. So let's vibe and talk music. This episode is brought to you by Artist Collective, guiding artists and entrepreneurs through the music industry. Learn more and join for free today at artistcollect.com and get back to the music. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Vibe Queen here. And today's guest, we have Austin Brown. So welcome, Austin. Welcome to Vibe Talk Music. Thank you for... Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I just love everything this platform stands for and just the honest dialogue that happens. Absolutely. Well, I know we connected through Isabel. I was on her podcast, and uh, so I'm very grateful that you are you're coming on. So before we dive into our deep conversation, if you can share a little bit about your background, where you're from, and just exactly what you do in the music industry. Sure. Well, the long and the short of it, I was raised um, by a very in a, in a musical family. My father was uh, in the Southern Gospel Quartet, so as a kid, I just always really loved harmony, and I always wanted to. I grew up wanting to be in a band. I never wanted to be a solo artist. I always wanted to be with other people on the road because that was just what I was kind of raised in um, until my parents divorced. And then my dad let, laid that down so he wouldn't be out of town so he could spend time with myself and my little sister. So anyways, through high school, I really got into music theater. Um, I realized I could go to college and get a scholarship for that. So that was what I pursued. And then I got in college um, at Oklahoma City University, studied music theater, did a lot of acapella arranging and things like that. Um, it was just a big hobby for me. And then eventually uh, I got a job working on, cru on cruise ships as a singer. I worked in several theme parks as well, Disney World, um, a few other places, uh, just living out the dream of being a singer. And then eventually um, on my second cruise ship, my, uh, a friend of mine there introduced me to a band that came on and performed. And I saw their show. They saw my show. We partied together and the rest is really history. Um, Six months later, I got off that ship, and uh, they asked me to come and sub in, sub in with them, an acapella group named Home Free. And I came and subbed in with them, and six months later, we were auditioning for a TV show called The Sing-Off, which is an acapella reality competition series that came on after The Voice. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of Pentatonix, mm -hmm. but they won, this, they won the season previous to us. And uh, we know those guys. They're awesome people, and we just sort of... Uh, got paired up very fortunately with uh, incredible management that had a great plan for touring and for a YouTube channel. And we had been in the process of starting our own YouTube channel. We did get one video out before the show aired. <laughs> and then the show was like, you can't, you can't upload anymore until the right. done. We were like, <laughs> we we're like, okay, but at least we got one out there and it helped. Um, and ever since then we've been making, you know, upwards of, 18 to 24 music videos a year. We're currently on the 24 a year track again now with the coronavirus thing that has happened. It's changed everything. So we've gone back to crushing out as many music videos as possible. Um, and I have an incredible band that um, has encouraged me. I write a lot of music. I do a lot of, you know, personal, uh, just like jam sessions and songwriting sessions with a lot of friends all over Nashville, which is where I live now. And I write for my band and I've written so much stuff that the band could just never do. You know, we just too much. It's just too much, you know. <laughs> and uh, so they're like, you should release it on your own. Um, you should do your own thing. And they've been telling me that for a couple of years now. And, and now with this, you know, with the world really shifting dramatically all at once and actually being home and having time, 
um, and being paired with an incredible roommate, Stephen Martinez, and one of my best friends. He's an amazing producer. The two of us have decided to start our own music project. It's really going to be my music project, but we're going to share the whole thing, which is pretty non-traditional in the music world because he's making most of the music itself. You know, he's producing right. it, and it's very high quality, and he's just my, my, one of my best friends. So well, that's the long and the short of it of, of where I've come to here. Now here I am getting ready to launch my own platform, and I'm also excited to just talk about um, to really sort of share uh, my own spiritual and let's say philosophical growth um, over my lifetime from, you know, the things that I've experienced and the things that I've seen happen and the way I've consumed my information uh, to get to here, to be lucky enough to speak with you. That's incredible. It's quite a story. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, yeah, it's a, there's a whole lot that happened in between the spaces there, but, you know. So, so um, currently you are completely independent or were you signed to a major label at one point or can you share a little bit about mm -hmm. the status as far as? Yeah, we were on, so interestingly enough, because I know you like hearing more about the industry stuff, right? So I think that this is interesting. Um, when we were on the show, uh, as soon as we came off the show, Pentatonix, who won the season previous to us, mm -hmm. they, um, they were blowing up just huge, right? But a little known fact, and I, you know, I want to say it because it's true. Um, they, uh, when they won the show, you know, uh, the season before us, they were dropped from the label <clears throat> that like you, you win the show, you win a record contract and you win a hundred thousand dollars, you know, um, when, when that happened to them, they got the hundred thousand dollars and the label dropped them. With wow. not even one, nothing, not one thing happened. And, and the, the amazing thing about that, though, is that's literally the best thing that could have ever happened to them ever in a million years. And I would imagine that when it happened, like, I don't even know if they would have been upset about it the day it happened. If, because certainly if it had been us, we would have been like, yeah, right? Because right. that was what we were hoping for. We were hoping that we would be just like them. We'd win the show and they would drop us. Right. That didn't happen. It almost happened. And then we released at the time our most viral video ever, Ring of Fire. And that video happened a, a, a few weeks, a month before we were going to be dropped. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure about that timeline. I just know it was very close. We, we were like really close to almost getting dropped, which is what we were trying to do because a reality TV show deal. And, and, and typically speaking, most most label deals for new artists are never friendly towards the artist terms. Uh, and we were able to craft a business ourselves without needing a label or without needing radio or anything just because of the internet. Um, and so anyway, so that happened and our label held on to us. We were with Columbia, um, Sony Columbia for, uh, uh, you know, five years or so. And then we, we fulfilled half the terms of the contract, which was eight, eight records. We gave them four. Um, and they were always very kind to us. By no means am I trying to misspeak. They were very good to us, and in a non-traditional way, they let us do pretty much whatever we wanted anyway. They had some input and opinions, but very rarely. Um, and it's because, you know, while we were very successful from a grassroots perspective, you know, we're they're Sony Columbia. That's like, you know, Pharrell, you know, like, and, and I don't know, several other folks of that ilk. They want major people who are selling millions of records. Right. And like making millions of dollars, you know, and from a small town perspective, like we're doing great, but that's not who we were. So we didn't have any of the real resources and, 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 um, you know, uh, just uh, attention that any other major record label would have. And we were with, you know, some very, 
like the, the, the our, our head of A&R brought Celine Dion to America and like made her, you know, like wow. we had some cool people on our team that are still, you know, very, uh, we have great relationships with those people because uh, um, it was just always a good experience. And then fortunately, when Sony got a new CEO in January of uh, last year, um, our lawyer who is, is um, one of the best lawyers in the industry just by accident, it wasn't like we went to get this guy. This guy's been a lawyer for the band since well before the thing off. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he was able to convince the new CEO to, to just let us go. He was like, just let them have their livelihood. He was like, they're just never going to be more than a mediocre band, you know, just let them have it. And it's like, and that, that, that like his perspective, whatever he did as the lawyer, it worked and they let us go. And for the first time ever, like this is, you know, I was able to buy a house this year, you know, this past year because of that getting dropped from a label suddenly, you know, we were like, wow, we can actually do this now because it's always been kind of like, how long can we make this go until <laughs> I'm tired of touring? And we haven't made enough money to be home and I still have to get another job. You know what I mean? So it's like for the first time ever over the last year or so, we've been able to actually cultivate a livelihood and think about long term because our, our touring business and, and, and relatively speaking, our, our, our album business is is doing really well, especially, especially for an independent band. Mm-hmm. Because you know the labels can take so much, mm-hmm. um, and it's just something that I'm, you know, I'm, I guess I'm proud of it. I think it's a, a really cool thing, you know, for a band that's never been on the on the radio. Um, we sell more hard tickets and we sell more CDs than basically like the top forty in Nashville. Like the, a lot of the people on the radio, like we're selling more tickets and more CDs. You know, we have like loads of those people want to come on tour with us. Because they know we will put them in front of, you know, a thousand, two thousand people every single night in, in a in a pre-corona world, <laughs> and hopefully in a you know next year whenever things, I hopefully get back to some semblance of normal and people will congregate again. Hopefully that happens, and you know we can go back to building or just continuing to tour and tour the world because we we also tour more than anybody I know. You know we tour probably two-thirds of the year through the whole world, predominantly the United States, you know, and the continental states for that matter, um, which is one of the blessings of living in the United States is that it's so big you can, you, and you can, you can do that without having to travel. But we were in Munich, actually, on an international tour all through Europe, through like 20, 24 countries in Europe or something. Um, and when this happened and, there were, and uh, we had a show canceled in, in Vienna, we went on to Munich a day early, we got there, we were going to be in Munich for three days to just have time off and like vacation and experience it before we got back to tour. And in that window of time was whenever Trump came on and was like, you got to go home. Right. Um, you know, you got two days to get home and that's it. And we freaked out because what they neglected to say in that press conference was that if you're an American citizen, you could come back whenever you wanted to, you know, <laughs> but they made it seem like you got to go now. Right. So we did. We left at two o'clock in the morning and went to the airport, you know, didn't even sleep. And came back and that was the end of tour and now here we are what four months later and it still hasn't gone back to anything close to normal mm-hmm. so but i guess yeah that's me rambling that's the long and the short of it though wow i mean you were in my homeland that's where i was born i was born in germany so um my mom's oh, that's awesome. in germany right now so yeah that's that's one cool. of my bandmates was born in germany as well on a military base he was okay born in germany. Yeah, a military yeah. baby as well um wow so I guess my question to you for artists that are listening, you know, with the experience that you've had, 
those that are still kind of chasing the major label deal, you know, what is your perspective now? You know, growing up, was that your your goal? Did you dream to become signed? Now that you've had that experience, you know, what, what advice would you give to artists? Are you against major label? Are you pro-independent artists? Is it circumstantial? Like, what would you, would you say is your advice to artists that are listening? Well, um, I guess I'll speak to that from just from my own perspective, right? I would say that as a, as a kid, you know, I always dreamed about being a singer, you know, but I, I never really had an idea of what that would look like. I had no clue. I knew I wanted to somehow be in a band, but I went to a college that was full of music theater singers, and I thought I'd get there and everybody would be a singer, harmonized, and want to be in a band, and it just wasn't like that at all, you know? And I didn't know anything about Berkeley at the time or like those kinds of schools where you can go and get an incredible commercial music degree and everybody there just wants to jam and make music on the spot, you know? I just, uh, the universe didn't like allow me to see that path. It, it put me somewhere else um, so divinely, but I just missed all that. So uh, in my head, sure, I always thought, you know, I'll get a, a record deal one day. And I, I really, what it was less about getting a record deal and it was more about getting discovered. You know, I thought that if Garth Brooks heard me sing, you know, and I, if I saw Garth Brooks on the side of the road, I thought if I see him, I'm going to go up to him and I'm going to gather all my courage and I'm going to sing for him or something. And I thought that that would change my life. You know, I thought that that was what I needed. I thought I needed just to sing for one person one time and then you have your big break and that's what it is. Right. Since then, I've come to realize, and especially in 2020, 20 years ago, it might be a little different story. But right now, no one no one should be chasing a record label deal unless you've been doing it for years and you have a, some real success. Like nobody should be trying to get on a record label unless you've already crafted your own crowd and you have something to offer them. Otherwise you're going to just sign your whole life away and it's going to take you years to get, to gain enough momentum to make the kind of you know money and livelihood you want to make because labels trap so many young artists who have real potential in to think like I have so many friends in Nashville who have label deals and you know of, of varying different structures and so many of them I don't know what it is they just it doesn't compute to them that that $25,000 photo shoot that they're that they're on right now um, is 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 being paid for by them exactly like you, you, sure you get like a stipend and the, and the company might give you you know, a couple grand or four grand a month, which, you know, to, to just like be there and to hopefully make it and, and like to like pay for your livelihood. But all the other things that you're paying for, like you're, you're paying for it. You know, you'll spend, they'll spend a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on your project, but it's really you spending it, you know, and until you make that back and it's, it's getting harder and harder to make that back in a traditional way. I mean, that's really your money. So I say very much so it's, it's my current plan. I'm, I'm launching my own artist project this August, you know, I've got, uh, you know, with, with Steven uh, Martinez, my roommate and incredible producer um, and some other people all independent from my normal organization and my home free organization. We've decided to just have two different things going. So that, <laughs> but that's a long story, but it's, it's exciting. Um, but we're, we're just, we're just going to put the music out there and cultivate uh, um, a social media advertising scheme of some sort. The only money that we're going to be spending is on like maybe a paid post here or there. But in reality, it's just about relationships. And it's more so I'm very lucky. Home Free, um, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, we found the bulk of our success through this music video production world, right? From making our own music videos on YouTube. Um, and how did we do that? 
Well, we got on a platform called Patreon. Uh, are you familiar with Patreon? I am. I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Patreon is, um, you know, I, I, every time I say this, I'm like, maybe it's changed because you know how fast the internet is. But every time I ask my manager, he's like, no, it's still the same. Home Free is the, the highest grossing um, uh, musical act on Patreon, right? And we did that through the most incredible fan base that exists on the planet. Wow. And they, they love us so much and they just want to see us succeed. So whenever we struck that, that whenever we got on Patreon, we struck a deal with our ma management, with our label at the time, mm -hmm. with ourselves, with our business managers, and with our agents, every single person taking a piece of the pie. We mm -hmm. said, nobody takes any money from this. We're not going to profit from this. They're not going to profit from this. Let's, let's just build a Patreon, and we'll use all the money that we get to pour back into you know, uh, the music video production and the promotion. Um, and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's how we were able to afford to have a real video team for every single music video that we shoot. Um, wow. And so that is, yeah, it's, so, 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 so that same strategy is literally what I'm going to use to do my own project. I'm launching my Patreon in the next two to four weeks. Mm -hmm. I've got everything kind of figured out, all my levels that I want to do. And we're going to use that revenue to pay for the production of, of this business and just see what we can create a year from now. Like no one should, in, in my head, like it's great to have a goal of a label deal, but it, like in my head, maybe I'll get to that point a year from now, because let's hope that over this year that comes up, we're able to build a foundation to stand on that, that would make us never need a label or the radio. So that if the label or the radio wants to play, they got to come to the table with some real concessions. You know, we got to share this revenue. That's the other thing about my business personally. Um, I'm not um, traditionally you have the artist and then the artist is, you know, you might have manager one or whatever and they all pay independently for all these other things. But instead, most of the people that I'm working with, I'm, um, I'm sharing the revenue. I'm giving people percentages of streams and, and, and et cetera to like, so that my success is their success, their success. and that there's nothing like just get behind it like let's get in the future we're a family here let's stop trying to hide things from each other here's all the numbers okay like let's do this together okay because i know that if it works while it won't be much to start five years from now the trickle it's just a little trickle you know you just gotta like be good to people and and uh and are like i said fortunately i, I have a, a fan base through home free that wants to see me succeed. And, and we've been talking kind of casually about this for a long time. And every, you know, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by such wonderful people. My brothers and the band like are encouraging this of me, you know, it's not like we're going to still make just as much home free content, you know? And, and so it's, it's just really exciting time, you know, where it's like, wow, what, what can this be? Who knows? Let me not try and think about what it can be. Let me just let it be what it is. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's brilliant, you know, and I dabbled with Patreon. I feel like I didn't quite crack that code. So I would love to pick your brain offline. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. I got a million. Absolutely. For sure. But yeah, I mean, that is literally how Vibe Talk Music came about. You know, I was in the industry. I've been in the industry for 15 years. I was married to someone in the music industry. You know, I, I pretty much helped them build their label that they have now. You know, their specialty is radio, ironically. And so I know their package deals cost 15 grand as we speak. Hmm. 
and I was in a band, you know, we had a distribution deal under Sony Red. And so we were about to go on tour in America. And, you know, long story short, once we got divorced, I lost all my contacts, started at Ground Zero. That's how this podcast came about. It used to be a live networking series. So for those of you tuning in, you know, this before this became a podcast, we did um, live networking series. I would interview different artists different people in the industry so I could educate myself on the business because I knew nothing. I was completely ignorant. You know, I was in a bad contract. Fast forward, here we are today talking. And that's why it's so key. And that's why I love that you brought this up because it's just so important to hone this, to hone this in. Relationships are everything. And so I love the fact that you are really stressing the fact that together we can achieve so much more and that you're so transparent in everything that you're doing. So, you know, I just think kudos to you for having such an incredible mindset and that you're just building such a strong foundation from the ground up and that you're looking you're not looking for what you can get right now. You're looking for the future. And that's just so brilliant. And, you know, the community that I'm a part of right now, Artist Collective, you know, we have that motto of collaboration over competition. And you've completely embodied that. And I just think it's brilliant. And the fact that you have what we call super fans that are literally showing up for you every month through Patreon, you've like cracked that code. So I think that's that's amazing. Congratulations. That's really awesome. Well, really- I appreciate it. It's, I feel very um, blessed and, and I'm grateful every day I wake up every day, you know, in a space of gratitude. I try and hold that feeling as much as possible because it really is amazing. And like, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to to create for these 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 incredible fans who are mm-hmm. still here six, seven years later. You know, that's I've had several people. Uh, let's say I've had three different um, college professors tell me that they teach an entire class based around our success because it really is true. I remember thinking the moment we launched on Patreon, like my head exploded because it launched so well. And I was like, Oh my God. And then six months later it had only gotten better. And I was like, Oh my God, like it, you know, knock on wood, like this, this is here forever. As long as we honor our fan base, Mm -hmm. you know, as long as we're good to them. And as long as we share authentically, that's all they want, you know, like, wow, I just have to be myself. Like that's, wow, you know, <laughs> and so I'm just, and that's, that's, yeah, it's, it, thank you for saying that. And it is very much, it's just an exciting time because I don't know what it will be. I just know it's going to be wonderful. However it transpires because, because things are already wonderful, you know, like mm-hmm. I was through that, through that organization, I was able to buy a house. I couldn't have done that this year. You know, timing is so beautiful with this coronavirus and all this craziness, like could not have done that this year at all. But because I did it, it's there, you know, I'm set, <laughs> you know, like, wow. So like, I just, as long as I'll keep paying that mortgage, we're good, you know? And like, that's just so unbelievable. It's, I get to take a deep breath every time I go home and go, wow, I have a space and I get to share it with myself and my people. And, and it's going to be a big part of my Patreon is that, you know, for a long time, I thought I didn't want cameras in my house. But, you know, I do all of, you know, my shout outs or anything from my house and people love it. And it's, it's exciting to have a, a space to share with people because that's mm-hmm. all they want. They just they just want to feel love and, and share that space. And, and fortunately for me, they like our music. <laughs> I think that's great. So I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of get into the nitty gritty when it comes to the industry. Um, sure. So I know for me, 
the two documentaries that completely changed my life and just threw my world upside down about, I would say, three, four months ago are Out of Shadows and The Fall of Cabal. So I'm, I'm sure you've seen those documentaries. And so my question to you, were you familiar? I'm writing with, down. Oh, okay. Were you familiar? I wanted to write down The Fall of Cabal. That, that's a good one. It's about three hours long. It's on, it's on YouTube. It's a link in my bio on Instagram as well for those of you oh. listening. But were you familiar with the corruption and kind of the craziness that is going on in Hollywood, in the music industry, you know, when it comes to, you know, the Satanism, the Illuminati, all of the crazy things you're hearing more and more about. Were you familiar with that before you got on the reality TV show, before you signed your label deal? Had you heard any rumors about that? Or did you learn about that while you were in it afterwards? Can you share a little bit about your experience with that? I had, you know, I, 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 I consider myself pretty well read. Um, and in college, I'm, I'm 33 now. Uh, so whenever I was 22, 23, I had my first joint with my father. Hey, I put it out there. Um, and, uh, uh, he came to visit me in Oklahoma city and that summer after he went home, you know, I, I'm like, my eyes have been opened. I was finally like, I'd read be here now and, and be loved now. And, the first time I ever smoked a joint, I was finally like, there was a moment where I remember looking up and I was trying to read a label on a bottle and I could, and I was like, those are words, but I don't know what they mean. <laughs> so I, and I remember laughing forever because I was so blown away. I was like, this is what it means to be here now, you know? And, and marijuana was something that allowed me to like really peek at that. And now I've since been able to cultivate that, you know, in a sober mindset by no means should that be the only place you can do it. But I do feel like there are some very good things there for some people. It's all about your own biochemistry and your own mental state, depending on whether that can be a good thing or a bad thing for you. But it was a very good thing for me, especially at the time. And that, that summer, for whatever reason, I, I fell down a rabbit hole with a couple friends who showed me a couple videos. And, and I'm, you know, I was just voraciously hungry for more information about all of that kind of stuff. And, I, and the first thing that ever really opened that door to me was a documentary. It's still on YouTube. Um, it's called Esoteric Agenda. It's very like low budget. Um, and it's very, uh, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very conspiracy theory. But he cites everything, everything. He cites it all. And it's his, you know, alineation of, of all the dots that he has seen in the world. It's the guy, and, it's, and the narrator now is a, a uh, I would say uh, an acquaintance of mine, at least like we have conversations and that blows my mind. His name is Ben Stewart. Um, and he has a lot of TV shows on Gaia. He's got a show on Gaia called Limitless. Um, and he's, he's just a brilliant mind. And that was the first opening of a door where I fell into and started to discover a lot of the stuff that Out of Shadows really put together in a very succinct way, especially if you're willing to go on your own trip down the rabbit hole after that. There is so much information out there um, about the things you're talking about, about the, you know, the Hollywood pedophilia and the satanic um, sex, uh, uh, sects of people and groups and organizations doing, you know, the cabal, the overall, the overarching oligarchy, you know, the Illuminati, if you would call it that. Um, I don't know if they would call themselves that. I think that's just a fun vernacular um, that, that, you know, and I would also say that, like, well, let's not get too off track here. Um, yeah, I'm very aware with it, and I do wholeheartedly accept the very real potential that it's all very real. I do not think that it is all of Hollywood. 
you know, I don't think it's, but I do think it, it is um, prevalent. I think it's there. I think that they have been losing power, you know, for my lifetime slowly, at least over the last 10 years more so. And I like to think that there is this good other side that is somehow, you know, fighting against that infrastructure. But, you know, talking specifics of that is, is difficult because most people just want to call you a conspiracy theorist. But most of the people that would be antithetical to that information are um, uh, unwilling to go on a journey of their own to, to, to validate their own opinions outside of mass media consumed information. Right. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, really struck me and I had a guest on Vibe Talk Music and they shared this offline. I'm not going to mention who, but basically they, they what they admitted to me was this and I applaud them for their vulnerability and honesty. And basically what they said was this. They said, you know, Tamisha, they said, I don't doubt what you're saying and I don't doubt these documentaries. The problem that I have at this moment in time is that I know that if I watch them, that means that everything that I thought that was true in my life will crumble. Mm. And mm. I'm not in a place where I can accept that because then what do I do? What do I do? My reality is no longer my reality. And then, and then I need to basically navigate it from a new place. And I don't even know if I'm in a, in a place then if I even want to be in the music industry. Like how right. can I deal with the fact that some of my idols may be worshiping Satan? Like how do I wrap my head around that? How, what do I do with that information? Like, I don't even know how to exist with that. So I, I, right. I just know that I'm not ready for that type of trauma right now. So I don't doubt that this is real, but I know I can't handle that right now. And that is why I just can't even bring myself to watch it. And I was like, See, oh, yeah, that's why you have to, that's why you have to be the music industry. You don't be in the music industry. You be the music industry yes. because then you just Ooh, say that again. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> you have, you can't be, you don't be in the music industry. You be the music industry and your world has to crumble. Your world has got to crumble, especially from whence most of us have, have, have come into our own as adults in this world. Like there's a moment there, especially for me, you know, everybody's not necessarily this way, but I had to really fall hard and like get up in at the rock bottom of my, my whole life, you know, and by no means am I trying to paint myself in any um, sort of negative light or, or, um, or, or as if I've had it worse than others, because it's just my experience. Everybody's there's a sliding scale of like what, what life experience is like. But for me, the worst part of my whole life where everything crumbled and my whole world fell apart entirely from top to bottom. You know, what I thought I even what I had thought I knew about spirituality to a large degree, you know, it all had to crumble. And that's the only way I was able to come into this place where I feel so confident. I feel so comfortable and so settled into myself for so long. I've been talking about this with Amberly. Amberly's um, my girlfriend um, a lot lately. Like even, even two or three years ago, I'm a highs kind of guy like. I love adrenaline rushes. I love being crazy excited. I love my heart pumping really fast, you know? And, and, that, and so whenever I would read a lot of Buddhist materials or even Hindu material, and they're talking about, um, you know, inner peace and really just sinking into that and always holding on to that. And that's what can root you and ground you through life. And really that is where you can find your most ultimate joy. Uh, I didn't want to believe it because I was like, man, it's boring. Peace. Peace, you know, peace is boring. 
But over the last couple of years, I've really come to be like, oh, my God, I've never been so happy because I finally locked into that piece where, you know, I'm not worried about the music industry. I'm not worried about, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z. I like their music. And that's honestly the biggest issue for me and myself a lot of times is the music I want to consume. I'm so intentional with the words and things that come out on music, especially new stuff over the last year or two. But like, I love Yonce, you know, and everything she's put out. And, and I'm such a fan of her and Jay-Z. And, and yet, I know that the image that they're portraying is not a healthy one for this world. You know, it's not a healthy image, even though I love it. Even though I think Beyonce is hotter than hot, you know, and I wish that I was Jay-Z at one point in my life, you know? Like, I'm not a rapper, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I was just like, man, they're doing it right, you know? It's it's a difficult conversation, you know, like the music that gets me going the most is stuff that I'm like getting up and I can just drop it to, you know, like I'm a, I don't, I, but, and yet when I think about what that music is, is about in terms of consumption, I'm like, man, is this healthy? I right. don't know, but I want to drop it like it's hot, you know? Something, something that I became very aware of, and this is a book, um, I don't have it, actually, you know what, let me grab it really quick because I want to show it, I think it's important, and I think somebody maybe it should be me i don't know but this book right here i'm gonna just show it really quick i don't know if you can read it so it's called movie watchers guide to enlightenment and oh, I, really I, love feel, that. I really feel there should be a music music listeners guide to enlightenment somebody that's a great idea i don't know that's a great idea but this book the concept is, it says, used for the purpose of awakening to our spiritual reality, movie watching is a joyful way to learn metaphysics and practice forgiveness. And so it has a whole list of movies that, you know, you could consider them perhaps to be toxic, if you will, but it gives a breakdown where you can enjoy these movies and walk away with them where you can find the lessons and watch them in a conscious mindset. Mm -hmm. And it literally will tell you where to pause it it literally will tell you scenes that may trigger you and it literally will tell you where you can walk away from it more enlightened. So you can, sure, I love that. You can still enjoy Hollywood, but consciously. And so Conscious, I, that's, I, think I think that's the, that's the best way to go. To yeah, about presenting. So I, think I think that's brilliant. Same, right. You can do the same thing with your music. You don't have to stop listening to Beyonce and Jay-Z. You don't have to stop listening to, to music that you enjoy, but you need to do it consciously. Aware, yeah. Be key. in it, not of it, right? Exactly. And I think that's the key. And that's why, like, one of my favorite quotes, you know, something that I live by is self-awareness is the gateway to inner peace. And inner peace is the gateway to world peace, really, if you think about it. If it we is, all think in our so. way, you know, that's how we're able to really shift the collective consciousness and raise our vibe, you know, and that's really what I'm all about. So, you know, that I think that's just so key is just being conscious of everything that you consume. So I think that's that's my advice to all artists. And that's something that I had to come to terms with when I first really was devastated once I realized, oh, my God. You know, first of all, what was I sur surrounded with all these years? You know, I may never know because um, I was very naive and kind of blind. And I think on a subconscious level, I knew, but I kind of pushed it away, you know, because I just didn't want to know the truth. And so I felt a lot, of a lot of guilt and shame around that. And then also I felt like, OK, can I even be in the music industry? Should I even be in this? But now I have this newfound purpose of like, OK, there are artists people are going to want to listen to you know, when they do recognize and realize the truth. And I can be a part of that. And I have a platform and a voice where I can bring on more artists that have that same mindset and mission, just like yourself. And so I think it's my 
obligation to continue that and to share that and to amplify that voice. And so something I want to kind of segue into with that being said is, you know, the current issue that's really happening and that's human trafficking and pedophilia and just all of that stuff, which I know is a sensitive and kind of uncomfortable and awkward topic, but I really would love to get your opinion on it as far as how artists and people can, can start talking about this in a way without feeling either this will hurt their brand without them feeling that this will, you know, you know, distract from their music or their branding, because there's an account that I follow. He's a business coach. Obviously this is not his purpose in life. This is not his ultimate message in life, but he's been sharing this. And he basically mentioned that it's become so in our face, especially with like the Wayfair scandal. And I know a lot of it is speculation, but it's becoming so in our face that we need to start talking about it. And another thing that has been coming to my attention is that pedophilia is being pushed as a sexual orientation. Yeah, and so no, that's I, crazy. Uh-uh. Get out of here. Well, well, listen to this. So I shared it on my story. I shared it as a poll. And I said, you know, who here agrees that pedophilia should be a sexual orientation? There's a TEDx uh, Yeah, I saw and There were four, four people, I think. Yeah, yeah, so four people voted that it should be. And so... As alarming as I thought that was, I'm like, okay, let's let's talk about it. You know, I'm not especially in your audience. Like you would never expect that. Wow. Exactly. However, I felt grateful that they were courageous enough to to share their their, their viewpoint. So I want to hear why they feel that's justified, so we can talk about it. And so I haven't heard back from them yet. We'll see. But I would love to get your opinion um, on that, and as far as how people can start talking about this without feeling like this is going to take away from their brand, or this is going to make people judge them because it's so in our faces now that we need to take away that stigma of it being uncomfortable, in my opinion. It's, um, oof, it's, I, 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 it's first off, I, I don't think there's any world let me just say where pedophilia can be considered a sexual orientation, you know, like I don't, I, I just don't because, you know, ch children aren't, your brain doesn't stop growing really ever in terms of its potential for cognitive ability, but you know, your brain settles in to its like fullness. I think for women sometime in their thirties, you know, and I think for men, it's maybe a, a few years earlier, like 27 ish is like the average or something. I know I'm a late bloomer there, <laughs> but uh, there's no world in like children and young minds are the most precious part of creation because they're so impressionable and from from anyone who's grown up without a great childhood to and and whatever that means to you you know um the things that that leaves you with for the rest of your life are insurmountable in a way like regardless of how well you've grown through them and become something new through the trauma of your childhood that's always like a scar that you have grown past and, and it can be completely healed and, you know, and nothing that is ever an issue at a certain point in your life, but it's still there. And to think about what that means it, it, for someone, for a potential society where people might think that somehow pedophilia was a sexual orientation and not um, just something totally wrong is, is devastating. And I think that that's very much so part of the 
overarching. Uh, the fact that that conversation can come up on mass media, the fact that a news anchor on CNN can can somehow defend the potential, and you can see in his eyes he's not even fighting it. He's like he's just signed up for his job. And he's like, well, maybe this, maybe pedophilia is uh, this is sexual orientation. What do you think, Bob? Huh? You know, like to be able to say it with such a nonchalance is very indicative, I think, of the evil in Hollywood and running all of the media, all of it. I don't, people can be like, oh, one side's a little better than another. No, it's not. It's all the same pool of money. Fox and CNN are the same thing, okay? Like, they're just skewed to different ends of the spectrum to instigate people further into heightened emotions, which lower them into their survival mechanisms and don't allow for proper cognitive function. Well, and I'm getting I that from Joe Dispenza. I love Joe. So here's the argument. So the TEDx talk, and I, I can share this to anyone that is interested. I'm gonna I'm gonna include the link in uh, this description uh, on Facebook and YouTube. But basically, this this person that shared this TEDx talk that has gone viral, her her claim, and I listened to this talk twice, and I listened the second time with more of an open mind. She basically claimed, and she didn't really she didn't condone it. I have to say that she basically claimed that if we can accept it as a sexual orientation pedophiles will feel safe to admit they have an issue, a problem, and therefore will seek help. So that was her argument. And so- I understand that, and, and I see what you might be saying, but my first instinct in hearing that is that it speaks towards sexual orientation potentially being a problem, and there's no problem with sexual orientation. Exactly, it normalizes it, and that is exactly my issue with it as well. I think it's a disorder. Um, and so I agree with you wholeheartedly, but that is her rationale behind it, is that if we normalize it, or not necessarily normalize it, but accept them into our society and make them feel safe, they will be more prone to want to speak up that they have this orientation, if you will, and then will want to sure. seek therapy and help. And she said she quoted a number of 60 million pedophiles, and those are just people that have come forward to say that they suffer from this. I mean, I don't want to say suffer, have this orientation. So there could be way more that we don't know of. So if we can make them feel welcome in our society and not shame them, they'll want to seek help. And that was her rationale. And so I hear where she's coming from. You know, she's like, do you basically have a better solution? You know, and, you know, I, I get her point. But what I think is dangerous is that if we make it an orientation, just like gay or, you know, bisexual, LGBTQ, all of that, you know, right. the risk you're running is the whole hashtag, and I've seen this, age fluid, love is love. Like you're, you're running the risk of that. And I think right. that- Age fluid, none of that. There's no such thing as age fluid. Like, uh, like don't that. get me wrong. I have seen productive relationships of, you know, 10 years difference, even early 20s to 30s that have turned into long, lifelong relationships. Like, I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions to the rule, but there's also a certain level, like where, and every, every experience is different, granted. But I don't, I don't know, I just, I, I like the idea uh, or the perspective that, you're, that she's positing here, like making them feel safe. Like, I think that that might be a better conversation is how else might we make them feel safe? Because I don't think that's the answer. Because when you think about like, drugs and drug use problems and you think about countries that have really great infrastructure for drug problems like i think it's sweden like in sweden if you're addicted to heroin you know you can go to the clinic down the street and they'll give you heroin you know as long as you're willing to quit 
and you join a program, they will wean you off of it with heroin in, in, in good psychological circumstances where they're taking care of you, getting you off of the drugs, right? So people feel safe to go, oh, hey, I've got a problem with heroin, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor helps them through that. So I do think that there is merit to the idea of how can we help these people who clearly have a problem. They're not, um, you know, uh, irre irreparable. You know, they have potential to grow and become better, just like any other person with any other issue. I agree with you when you say that you think it's a disorder. You know, there are ways of overcoming that. Um, but I don't think that we can ever normalize it, ever. We can never shine a light like it's okay to be this in public. You can't do that. No, you can't do it in private either. Like yeah. it, that's a, there's a certain line, and that's just one that it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's not okay. And the reason the reason why I agree with you, and this is why we need to talk about it, so this doesn't slip through the cracks, and people subconsciously accept this as an orientation. That's why I'm so vocal about it, and I'm glad more and more people are becoming vocal about it. Is because we have to remember, unlike heroin, right? That's a drug. The yeah. drug is a child. Right. We have. Well, it's to a response it. to the idea of the exactly. child. The drug is still here. It's just it's just biomolecularly composed. Exactly, and and the and like the epiphany that I had listening to her talk because I remember thinking to myself, why is there such a demand for child pornography? Why is this such a thing? And then it it kind of hit me that you know there could be so many pedophiles out there that may not be acting on these impulses, but they're getting their kicks by watching this. You know, and so I yeah, that well. I was like, maybe these pedophiles are not acting on their urges. They're not actually kidnapping these kids. Maybe they're not, you know, actually, you know, acting it out, but they're watching it. Right. And, and they're, they're trading, you know, they're allowing for that. You know, they're paying for it to whatever degree. Exactly. Exactly. And so these conversations need to be had because human trafficking, child trafficking is very real. And with this current Wayfair scandal and, you know, all of these things that are coming to light, and I think it's eight hundred. You, you know Hillary's going to court, right? Sorry. You They're know going Hillary's to going to court, right? Yes, September. I can't put, oh, yeah, September ninth, I think. Yes. And it's like, and that's what it's for, you know. Exactly. And so uh, you know, you don't and see. Nobody knows because the media won't talk about it. Exactly. Like, exactly. Conflict of interest. Just look around, people. Come on, like that's a much bigger story than anything else, and it ain't on one piece of news. You know, one more thing I want to get your opinion on, and then we're going to shift gears to spirituality, because um, I almost fell for this. And so I, it's funny that you mentioned Hillary, um, the Blackout Tuesday. What is your opinion on that? Because I posted a black square for all of eight hours and then I woke up, really woke up and said, nope, deleting that. I did some research and I was like, nah, this is BS, because it was the same day Hillary's attorneys were in court. Um, so major distraction right there. I also did some research behind the whole black cube. Um, you know, people, of course, called me conspiracy nut, and I got a lot of backlash for it. But there was some um, symbolism behind the black cube, which I know there's a black cube in the meditation room at the UN. And then I went live with another spiritual um, uh, uh, person, and she gave me the whole breakdown behind the symbolism with the lungs and the COVID and the silence and the blackout and the music industry. And she broke it all the way down. And I was like, the music oh. industry too. It was, and that, it was the music industry that did it. You know, it was exactly. a music industry movement. Exactly. So. And silencing. So I would love your opinion on that. What is your view about behind the whole blackout Tuesday, BLM, the defund the police? What is your viewpoint on that? Oof, man. I know well, that was 
Yeah, BLM, Black Lives Matter. Uh, what I what I what I say at this point, you know, what I what I like to, this, and this is a very optimistic viewpoint. Um, I I don't, for the most part, I haven't found an organization in you know modern times that's publicly available, especially through the media, that has um, much redemption as an organization. Now, so the Black Lives Matter organization, from what I can tell, from the information I've been given, is not, um, it, it's not good for, it, 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 it has problems. It has some serious and significant problems. Now, the Black Lives Matter movement, let's separate that from the organization, okay? It, it has its merits. I, I think that overall, it's just like everything else that's come before it on either side of this particular argument. I think that it is, it, it's just angry, right? You get two little kids in a room and if they're gonna get in a fight, you know, they're, they're just gonna fight and they're not gonna hear each other. You know, as adults, let's think about when we were younger, at least myself, and you get into an argument with your friends or your family, um, especially before any sort of personal, you know, awakenings, you don't hear each other when you're yelling at each other. You just are feeling you're yelling. At this point, I, do, I see so much validity in the conversation of, of, of the Black Lives Matter, you know, the, the, the mantras that they say and whatnot. Can you say something? Did this just come back on? Uh, I can still hear you. Great. Um, yes, I, I, but I, I don't... I don't know. It's my. It's why I have yet to, you know, I don't come out and support vocally any organization at this at this moment, you know, because all I can do is share information that I have. You know, that's the most I'm doing uh, is sharing information because all I see with organizations and with the protests and things are anger begetting anger and violence begetting violence. And I don't know what the, what the answer is. And I do believe that if people feel so inclined to go and protest, and it is a part of the passion and the fire in their heart to go and fight for something, like I think that they should follow that and, and, and learn what they can learn from it. But, but in my heart at this point, when I think about back, Black Lives Matter, when I think about defunding the police, when I think about the, you know, the un, unlabeled police military force in Portland, like, that, that's theoretically just a show at this point, because I've heard that most of the people that they've picked up, they just dropped off around the corner. They're literally just doing it to put it on the news. Wow. Um, it, it, it's, it's, um, they're just showing the, their power. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is other than to go back to, to tuning out of a lot of this stuff and focusing on, on my heart on the love in my heart and on the love I have for the people immediately around me and on the world that I live in and the music I'm creating and hoping that the more love I pour into this, instead of getting outside of myself and trying to partake in these different you know, movements that are happening that just seem to be full of anger from where I am and, and, and perhaps a righteous anger even. That's not, I'm not judging these organizations for being impassioned and emboldened by their uh, perceived uh, you know, uh, victimhood um, that may very well be righteous and is in a lot of ways. But still, from what spirituality has taught me, it's that none of that matters. Mm -hmm. And that the best I can be for the world is I can be a light unto myself and to those around me.
and just just live through love in all ways. I'm trying to be what my idea of Gandhi is. You know, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight. You can come take me away. You guys can run me, you know, run me up another wall, but I'm not going to fight until there's very clearly a side that I think is righteous in almost every way. And I know that, that everybody's like, oh, you got to choose, you know, red or blue or, you know, choose, you know, Hillary or Trump. And I'm like, I will not choose the lesser of two evils. I will let you guys do that. And I will have faith that God is going to use it appropriately. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what I think about when I think about all those different movements, the Black Lives Matter and the defund the police. And, you know, I, I love the ideas um, that, that spur defund the police. I do think that our police are undereducated and undertrained and uh, they have too broad of a scope of power. But do I think we should um, uh, defund them entirely? No. And obviously that's not what it is. It's not defunding them entirely. But there is there is everything can be better, you know. So I do think that our police force nationally needs an, an infrastructure reboot that can hopefully help it and hopefully craft some new uh, and more beneficial ways to help the more impoverished communities, you know, around this country that, you know, were put together by the same people still running it. You know, like these terrible communities, like in the, all the urban ghettos and everything where it can be harder to live, uh, you know, that was that's a problem of the same infrastructure, almost like a royal family passed down from generation to generation. Like the same money that, you know, funded the Revolutionary War is still running the country. Hmm. Well said. One of the things that I really like that you separated is movement from organization. I think that's very key. So I love that you you separated that Um so I think that's that's very, very important. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that I think is incredibly important and really changed my life and especially my relationships. And that's energy. Um, can you explain to to us? I know what it means to me. I would love for people to, to, to hear it from from your words and your perspective, uh, what masculine and feminine energy means to you and how it has influenced your relationships and um, impacted your life? Um, I, uh, one of my greatest mentors, um, he really opened me up into this entire spiritual world. He's a priest, an Episcopalian priest. And I was lucky enough to, to get to have a personal relationship with him. And he would teach me personally. And he taught me many things that he said, Austin, uh, the things I'm teaching you, I can't, teach to my congregation, which I think is interesting to think about. And I think that that's a lot of what, what we're talking about now, even with the sort of how a congregation can kind of lose itself in emotion, you know? Um, but when you can have a conversation about some things that people may not believe in wholeheartedly, like let's just say to simplify, like things like the law of attraction or something. You know, he was the first person that started to teach me something like that. He didn't call it that. It wasn't, you know, it, the secret only came out a year or two after or right before that. And we did, he just wasn't aware of that at the time. So that wasn't what he called it. But he called, he started making those kinds of things. And he pointed me in all kinds of directions as an Episcopalian priest, reading many different religious books and historical documents from loads of different religions. Um, and he really was the first person that started to teach me about energy. And, and, and as I have grown older, um, I have come to really discover the balance of masculine and feminine energy in myself. And especially over the last year or two, I've really been able to cultivate 
uh, a much healthier balance there than I ever have before. Um, in my current relationship, it's the, it's the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. And, and I think it's largely because she balances my, my feminine energy so much with her masculine energy. There's this really amazing connection that happens where up until her, really, every woman I have ever dated before this woman, I was a man. And my dad raised me to be a man and to go get the girl. You know, I wrote a song that's never come out that uh, I wrote, hopefully a woman would sing one day, one day called Play the Field. And it's, it says, uh, every daddy teaches every young man to be wild and free, chase every fish in the sea. Uh, oh wait, no, uh, every daddy teaches every young man to be wild and free. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember, but chase, it's, it's about to say chase every fish in the sea, you know, whatever, but, but we tell the girls to sit, no, you know, you gotta settle down. Good girls gotta settle down, you know? But I'm here to tell you now, you gotta play the field. So the point in my head in writing the song was that I think that there's this imbalance in our culture, at least it wasn't me, of men being like, I gotta go get the girls and I gotta try them all, you know? And every single one I can try because men go up and hit on women, you know, and women wait for men to hit on them. I just mean stereotypically, right? In that traditional masculine feminine energy. Um, but in my, in my new relationship, it's the first time in my life where after an old relationship ended, I took a couple years of, of just going within myself so much and I stopped chasing women. I stopped chasing connection and I sought connection in myself. And in my head, I knew that whoever that next woman was that came into my life, she would come into my life organically and I wouldn't have to bring her into my life. I wouldn't have to convince her to love me. Every relationship that I've had before this, as beautiful as they were, you know, I haven't had really a tragic relationship. They've been good to me. But what made this makes this one so different is that I didn't go chase this woman. We just lined up. It just makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's 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 really, that's kind of where I am with masculine feminine energies. There are so many ways to balance it and everybody has a different balance within themselves. And I will say it reminds me of a book that I read once that I absolutely loved called The Way of the Superior Man, right? And, and it's, that sounds like a very uh, masculine dominant book, right? It's very balanced. And really, the way that the, I forget the author's name, the way that he speaks towards it is that really the more powerful or the more important or the more um, holy man is the womb man, right? Because womb, woman is just womb man, right? That's where that word comes from. And, he's, and he talks about the whole book is literally about masculine and feminine dynamic and energy and how if you want to have a healthy relationship, like in, in this guy's perspective, the healthiest way to do that is to balance your masculine and feminine energies, especially if you want to get that arc of sexuality that, you know, that our culture has really raised in us. You know, we want to have like world changing sex, you know, but like that's not easy unless you're very balanced and your masculine and feminine energies have to be so vulnerable and open and, and available with this person that you're loving. You know, I used to be a person that thought casual sex was something that could be, um, that I, I was just much more interested in that. And now over the last few years, I've come to be like, wow, that's just what culture, and you know, I love them, but my father raised me to want to do and to be. And now I've gotten to this place where I'm like, wow, 
like this is so much better this way. I love it so much more like this. I can't believe I ever wanted that, but I was definitely the kind of person that needed to experience it all to have a perspective of it. I couldn't listen to other people telling me what would be good for me. I needed to go like fall flat on my face right. um, to go, oh, okay, I get it now. Let me, let me do what's good for my heart instead of what's fun for my mind. Love that. I gotta do what's good for my heart instead of what's fun for my mind. Oof, you have so many amazing quotes. I love it. <laughs> That's so true. So I know for me, because I definitely went through a similar journey of having to go inward and just take time to just love myself because I kept attracting, you know, pretty much the same partner over and over and over again, but not knowing why. So what advice would you have for those listening that kind of find themselves stuck and they're continuously attracting similar relationships and perhaps similar friendships even or similar jobs and similar situations and you just don't know why that keeps happening what what are some steps that they can take to start to break that cycle and perhaps use the law of attraction to start changing that habit and you know attracting a partner and friendships and situations that are in alignment with with their energy i think that the only thing you have to do is fall in love with yourself and i mean that like you should you should be able to go to a restaurant or on a hike or to a movie in the theater or anything alone and really enjoy it and not you know and, and it's not an easy thing to just up and go start doing like it is an easy thing to just up and start doing but and that's how you should do it you should just start but finding that comfort and finding that inner love something that's something you have to cultivate in your own way through whatever your best practices of spiritual practice can be like and that's tailored to every individual um but i think that when you fall in love with yourself when you relinquish the desire to find a significant other when you relinquish the need to be loved and because you are filling up your own cup so intently only then can you find someone who balances your energies um, in a way that isn't pulling on all the negative aspects of your childhood, which is really what, you know, I, I will also say therapy is, is a great thing. Um, I, uh, fortunately, I've been around some, some great people, and one of my cousins is a, is a PhD in psychology, but until I actually went and got a therapist two years ago, you know, I really was able to discover how all of the problems from my childhood that I hadn't healed from were only just then being healed and and that I had been seeking the love that I had not gotten from my mother and my father. Um, not that they didn't intend to love me, you know, as best they could. It just was through the divorce and through separation, you know, I grew to have a non-traditional relationship with women in my life. Um, and that translated into my adult, you know, um, my mother and, and uh, is one of the most wonderful people ever. She, she was angry for a long time um, at my father, and I can understand that, you know. <laughs> they just didn't like each other. They, for some reason, they came together to create me and my sister, but other than that, they're the most toxic, you know, relationship that could have ever happened. <laughs> and, you know, all everything's meant to be. The man that my mother married, my stepfather, is one of the most brilliant men I've ever known. He's one of the calmest people I've ever known. Um, and, and, and yeah, it just, it took a long time for me to realize uh, through some help with some healthy therapy that I was, every woman in my life had just been a bandaid on the, the emotional support that I didn't realize I was so hungry for and I felt starved of as an adult. You know, I was just seeking that in all the women. I was like, 
trying to, you know, experience a life with, you know. And again, I, let me not speak poorly about my previous relationships. They were wonderful women in their own right, and it just didn't work out. But it was just me trying to use them to fill a void that I needed to fill myself. As, as I feel cliche as that sounds, that's the truth. You got to be so content on your own, and you have to be great in my mind, at least. I think we should be content with the idea of living a solitary existence and being able to find love in this world because this planet and this world is so incredible. We should be in love with it. We don't need another person to, to find the validity of that, you know? Like, so true. yourself first. So true, so true. And what you're saying is not cliche at all. Um, I think it's very valid and it takes a very self-aware and honest person to be that vulnerable and vocal to one, say this on a podcast publicly, and two, just be able to to be honest with yourself and admit that to yourself and then be able to let that go and surrender. So, and I, I went through that journey myself as well. And, you know, every person that I bring this topic uh, up with says the same thing. And, you know, I finally come to that place as well. And every relationship I've had in the past, I'm very grateful for, the, for that. And I hold no hatred or, you know, uh, regret in my heart because it was all a life lesson and it all brought me to where I am today. And so if I didn't meet those people or if I didn't experience those things, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I'm actually incredibly grateful for all of the experiences that I've had because it brought me to where I am now. So um, yeah, that's why for me, at least, I don't believe in having any regrets at all. So, so thank you for sharing that. I think that's very powerful. And that's why I always like to bring up that topic because you never know who's listening and who you know, um, who will have that aha moment of just, oh, that makes so much sense. And especially hearing it from a, from a male's perspective. I think that's so important. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a world where not as many men are as vulnerable and open about this. And so I think therapy and life coach and all of those things can be incredibly helpful. And I know I have life yeah. Are there any self-care practices that you currently do to kind of keep yourself in that mindset and with that discipline now? Yeah, I would say um, a daily practice. And I say daily, and I mean, you know, I might miss a day once a week at most, but I, I, I meditate daily. Um, and, and it's not just meditation. Really what I do more than anything, it's the breath work. There's breath work and then I meditate every single day. And I really consider them to be one and the same because I'm just trying to be one with the breath, you know. Mm -hmm. But and in, in, in that meditation space, when the breath work, you know, is behind me, that's where I craft my emotional um, state, the joy, the gratitude that I, you know, and for the future that I am so excited to experience, bringing that here and now and going, okay, you know. Um, Aaron, I think Aaron Downey is probably the best, you know, at communicating this on online right now in the YouTube space. He's um, great. But it, it, you really have to bring that feeling here and now. Don't think about what you want life to be. Be what you want life to be. And like, and that, and even if you don't have the house or you know the family or you know the the, the level of income that makes you feel whole, like whatever that is. You should just be it now, like feel that feeling every day. Be grateful. It doesn't mean you need to go spend money as an act of like showing that you have faith. It just you literally just like in that space of peace and quiet when you're able to like lower your brain waves in that like in that way that Joe Dispenza makes so easy to understand, which is, you know, and he gives he has a great method for that. Um, when you can bring yourself down into your you know lower brain waves, those lower um, 
I think, what is it, beta and alpha brainwaves and theta mm-hmm. brainwaves. Like, when you get down into there and you can bring the feeling that you wish to experience into the now and then be experiencing that feeling, you know, that's where real power is in, in a world that's all made of energy. Bringing that into your awareness every single day. It's got to be consistent. Discipline. Everybody in the world has different things that have helped them get to where they are. For me, I lived as a, as a man in this world. Let me say, I lived as a boy in this world until I was in my 30s. And then I was broken by life and just in my own head, you know. And it was because I had no discipline. I had nothing to hold on to. I didn't have any sort of daily practice. I was just consuming food and information, mostly entertainment. I was just entertaining myself all day, you know whether it was you know, Netflix or video games or smoking and way too much marijuana. You know, I was just entertaining myself. And then one day I realized I wasn't happy and I would never be happy that way. And I picked up a guitar. I was like, I'm going to tease myself to play this thing. I play piano and I've always wanted to learn guitar. And I was like, that's really something that I never would have thought I could do. I'm going to do it because I know I can do it if I just decide to do it. So I did it. And I'm, you know, one day, 10 years from now, I'm probably going to be a really good guitar player. Right now I'm good enough for me. To be like, wow, I play guitar, this feels awesome. And then the daily meditation. Like those two things, finding something that no matter how I felt about it, no matter how poorly I felt, if I was depressed, sad, happy, excited, didn't matter. I was going to do the work every day, period. Just do it, no matter what. Even though all I want to do is sit on my phone and scroll because I'm in bed and I'm like, ugh, I don't really want to do it. Once you start doing it, Something happens and suddenly it's fun, you know, suddenly it's fulfilling at least, you know, especially once you've made that commitment and you get through that first, they say 40 days is the amount of time it takes to build a habit. So like pick something and do it for 40 days, at least just period, you know, just period. And, and it will change your life, whatever it is. Like you don't have to do it forever, but just commit to doing something every day for yourself. Something, no matter how hard it is, just do it. I love that. And something I found also is that for me, at least once I've committed to a certain amount of time and it's become a habit, especially once that that window of time um, is up, I found myself to continue to do it. Yeah. So that's a great way as well. So, Austin, I want to thank you for being on Vibe Talk Music. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. I think you're an incredible soul. Um, just we we've, we've just dove all over the place. Like I just yeah, love that so much depth to you. It's an absolutely uh, incredible. So I ask every guest this before we sign off, um, and that is, what are some words of wisdom you would like to share with those that are listening um, right now, if you uh, have any? <laughs> You know, the Beatles are right. Love is all you need. It really is. Get out of your lower survival-based emotions. If you're angry about something, it's okay. But when you want to communicate what you're angry about, get out of the anger. Let that go behind you and communicate with peace. Because peace is the only place you can communicate from, and anyone who might listen would listen if they disagree with you. Otherwise, you're just, you know, what, you're just yelling into an echo chamber. Like, just leave with love. And it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset or sad about this world. But A, I don't believe it's healthy to share it publicly. I don't believe that sharing your sadness and your anger publicly on Twitter is healthy for the world or ourselves. I think that love is the only thing that will, that will bring people together who don't believe the same thing. 
Love it. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. Please let everybody know how they can best support you right now and where they can follow you and all that good stuff before we Absolutely. sign off. Well, I mean, uh, my, my uh, Instagram and my Twitter is at underscore the Austin Brown. Um, I have a YouTube channel that, that uh, I haven't posted anything on yet. Um, but then there's also my band, which we, we just hit a million subscribers on YouTube you know, a month and a half ago, maybe, or maybe, I don't know, maybe in the last four or six weeks, I think. And that was a big milestone for us. Um, and we actually just had our most viral video ever on July, uh, the beginning of July. We did God Bless the USA with the legend Lee Greenwood. And, uh, um, you know, for left or right leaning, I think that song has a beautiful message. God bless the USA. Like blue or red, I don't care. Like we're here together and let's be grateful for it. Um, yeah, that's my band Home Free. We got a bunch of music all over the place. It's acapella, so maybe you like it. Maybe you don't, but uh, you know, thank you so much for giving me a platform to speak about this kind of stuff. I've never done this before. This is only my second time. I, you know, I did the other one with Isabel. Mm -hmm. um, it's just such a joy and a privilege to finally have a space to communicate about these sorts of things where it doesn't feel like I might be preaching to people because it's a different thing to try and speak about this sort of stuff with no one asking questions. Exactly. You know? And I think it's beautiful that you give people a space to speak about spirituality and their experiences in, in, in the music industry and just in life. Yes. Well, I'm so grateful that the universe brought us together because it's interesting you brought up Aaron because that's how me and Isabel connected. Um, I actually just left a comment on Aaron's post and that's how me and her connected. I was a guest on her show literally just because of that. And then she said, you need to interview Austin. And so... Literally, it was just attraction, and that is how we're talking right now. So that is just so divine and beautiful. So we'll definitely continue talking. I need to pick your brain about Patreon because that's just absolutely yeah. We can definitely talk about that pretty much anytime. Yeah, that's awesome. But we'll definitely stay connected. But thank you so much, Austin. And uh, yeah, everybody, make sure you go follow him. He's incredible. And uh, yeah, till next time. Take care. Bye bye. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. To stay in touch, please subscribe to my newsletter over at vibequeenmusic.com to stay up to date with my music, guided meditations, which I do on Instagram Live, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Central Time, the blog, and of course, this podcast, Vibe Talk Music. Till next time, and remember, self-awareness is the gateway to inner peace.